If you have your Bibles this morning, I uh, invite you to Acts chapter 5. Um, we're going to just, I, I just sense the Holy Spirit backing us up a little bit. We're going to take Acts chapter 6 next week, but um, Acts chapter 5 is where to uh, take the last little bit of that. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. If you um, need to borrow it, feel free to borrow it. If you need to uh, take it and keep it with you because you don't have a Bible that you can read and understand, it is our gift to you. We'll be glad to buy more Bibles. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can track along with our um, live event right now with the scriptures and sermon notes and other stuff there, okay? Uh, <clears throat> we, as we get going here, it's Acts chapter 5, verse 27 is where we're going to start. And just to catch us up, okay, so God has uh, come. He has moved in the lives of his people. He's birthed the church uh, because they are so intent and passionate about spreading the good news of Jesus. They have found themselves in trouble multiple times. Uh, chapter 5 is no different. Um, the, they were preaching, uh, the high priests and others arrested Peter and James and John, some of these other folks, the apostles, put them in jail. God miraculously set them free. They went back to preaching because that's what he told them to do. And uh, when the next morning came, the high priests and the council, they said, where are those fellows? We thought they were in jail. They're not in jail. They're out and they're preaching. And so that's where we pick up the story in verse 27, Acts 5. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, so the, the high priest had sent out the people to bring the disciples back. When they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and, uh, with, <clears throat> excuse me, with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Let's pause right there for a second. Um, anytime somebody has something to lose because of the gospel, uh, there will always be this kind of hostility. It will always be. Whether it's somebody religious, whether it's somebody political, both of which are intertwined into this story, anytime they have something to lose, there will always be hostility. And that's, what, that's how they found themselves. They found themselves looking um, at this council of people who had all sorts of power and all sorts of influence, all sorts of sway, if you will. And uh, Peter and the apostles are just sitting there before him saying, oh goodness, this is where we are. And they were experiencing this hostility um, our culture is not hostile to the gospel or anything like that, so you don't have to worry about that, right? Okay. <clears throat> uh, and as, as is typical, again, even in our day, uh, blame shifting, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Whose fault was it that Jesus got crucified? It was indeed these very people. Peter's going to point that out here in just a second. And today, I, I just want to think about three phrases. Uh, the first one is, obey God. That's verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must do what? Obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. There are times when this particular verse, this particular thought or phrase uh, gets used to justify either my selfishness or uh, justify or make me feel better about my insecurity or even help me stick my finger in the eye of somebody I consider too religious. Don't make that mistake with this phrase. This is serious stuff in verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. How do I know that it's serious? Because they're sitting before the council. They literally have life and death in the balance here. And the charge is don't speak. Quit talking about these things. And so if you find yourself before a, a body of people who hold this power of life and death over you and are telling you not to speak, that's a good moment to roll out. We must obey God rather than men. 
The the context is so important because we don't get to use this to justify our own stuff. We get to say, hey, we understand what's going on, that there is a culture that needs to be spoken to. There are things that need to be said to these people. And, And so you're telling us to be quiet, but it's really crucial for us to speak up in this moment. That's what it means to obey God rather than men in this moment. For us, for them in chapter five, for us today in our cultural moment, to live fearlessly as they did and to speak clearly as they did. That's what it means to obey God in our day. Why? Why would we do this? You've heard this before if you've been around. Because Jesus has the best possible answers to the most important questions of life. Folks, he's not just God. He's smart. He knows better how to do life than any of us do. So it's important for us to live fearlessly and to speak up, to speak clearly. Why? Because he has the best possible answers. And furthermore, the world needs to hear these things. That's why it's important for us to speak up. So what would that look like in our day? What would that look like? Well, I was just thinking this week about some particular areas. Um, certainly, it comes; to, it is true in sharing the gospel, and there are some um, ways that that could shake out in some particular ways. Here's just a couple uh, of things for you to think about when it comes to obeying God rather than men and speaking up, living fearlessly, and speaking with clarity. One of the places I think uh, that we talked about this last week is is reclaiming kind of this language of evil we would, as a church, would be able to clearly articulate, hey, this isn't just somebody who's disturbed, but in appropriate ways and in appropriate times, and when the occasion fits, to say, this isn't just somebody who's disturbed. This is something that is demonic, and we need to say it as such. It won't win us any points with the culture. It won't uh, uh, you know, uh, help us to win friends or influence people. I'm just telling you, there are times when we need to reclaim that language of evil because it is something that is very real in our world. For Furthermore, um, it helps us um, to be clear about kind of what the next step is because so many of us, so many of the people that we interact with, and indeed the cultural narrative that's out there, we tell our stories as one of pain instead of one of failure. The very first thing for us to embrace the good news of Jesus and to obey God rather than men is to embrace the fact that we're not just broken, we are failures, spiritually speaking. So we don't move forward from there unless we kind of embrace that first. We have to reclaim kind of this language of evil. Well, who are you to judge? It's not judging to tell the truth, folks. We do it lovingly, but we we tell the truth as God has revealed it. Um, here's another place where I think it'd be, uh, that, that would be a place to open a door to share the gospel um, and to live fearlessly and to speak clearly. Here's another one, the, the holding up the beauty of purity. The beauty of purity. Um, imp- it, just on a pragmatic side, impurity doesn't work. Have you noticed? Uh, you look at the statistics for uh, cohabitation. Um, the street version of that is shacking up. Uh, uh, th- you are 33% more likely to end in a divorce than if you didn't. Think about that. It's worse to try before you buy. That's kind of the negative side. Hey, that doesn't work. What's, what's the positive side? Like the whole world wants a, a, a kind of love that's, that's, that's worth finding and worth um, uh, investing in and worth sticking with. They, they love the whole kind of monogamous, um, long-lasting love thing, right? This is why Nicholas Sparks sells movies and, 
Am I right? Who's with me on this, right? Everybody loves them a notebook, right? I mean, that's, they want this picture of a love that is monogamous and lasts, even though we live not in a Nicholas Sparks culture, but in a Fifty Shades kind of culture. We, we want to hold this up and say there is a beauty to purity. It, as the Bible talks about it, it is internal that begins to work its way out, and that's why it works, because we have lanes. We get to keep all the passion of that, but we have a lane, appropriate lanes for it to run. And here's the third one, wisdom, the necessity of wisdom. We live in a world of reactive thought um, with a refusal to wait, and there's no patience at all. Um, (coughs) Excuse me, um, no patience at all. A reactive thought with a refusal to wait that leads to a selfish action um, that is partial towards those that we, uh, that, that we think are like us. And I'm putting all that on the table, a mouthful to say this. We desperately need wisdom in our culture. James chapter 3, verse 17. I don't think this is going to pop up, but just, just listen to how James phrases it. But the wisdom from above, James says, is first pure and then peaceable, Gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, that sounds just like every debate you've ever had on social media, doesn't it? Every debate's full of that, right? No. And that's exactly why we need it. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial and sincere. We need wisdom. And I think when we speak up to the necessity of that, I think it opens doors to more important, even more important conversations. Lastly, again, just thinking here, uh, one other place is um, the insufficiency of leadership. What do you mean by that? I, I mean in every realm that you can think of in our culture, political, social, um, uh, the arts, athletics, and, you know, we, talk, we hear people talk about they're a leader, they're a leader, they're a leader. and my point is, I think the Bible's clear on this, um, that the way that you become a good leader is to be a good follower first who serves. Acts chapter 6 is going to talk about servants who lead. And so it is, it, it's insufficient to just say, hey, I'm at the top, I'm at the front, I'm moving forward here, because if I'm not following, then I may be bossing, I may be directing, I may be dictating, I may be, I may be manipulating, um, I, I may be managing something, but I'm not leading. There's an insufficiency to just taking on what you and I would call or what the world calls leadership. So obeying God means we live fearlessly. We speak clearly. We can speak in these areas. We can speak in others. But we have to speak clearly. How how did the apostles do this? How did they look at the council and say, we're going to live fearlessly. We're going to speak clearly. How could they do it? Because Jesus had prepared them for exactly this. This will show up, I think, in the notes here. But in Luke chapter 12, listen. Um, to what? This is Luke chapter 12, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. Does that show up on anybody's coffee cup? I just need to know. Like, is that verse? No? Do, Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. That's such a crucial thing. I mean, but... 
it's so foreign to how we typically think. Jesus looks at his people and he says, hey, don't worry about the folks who can kill you. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Why? Why would, why would you fear him? Not because he's so mean, but listen to how he describes it in the very next verse. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. You're not forgotten before God. That's what he's saying. You want to invest your life and give your loyalty, your allegiance to somebody? Don't worry about the one who's just threatening you. Give it to the one who cares so deeply about you. And yes, he can do the other stuff too, but think about that. Verse 7, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus is prepping his followers to obey God, to live fearlessly, to speak clearly. And we get to do that. They, get, they got to do that then. We get to do that now because of the gospel. And that's the next phrase. We obey God. And the next phrase, because of the gospel. Back, back in Acts chapter 5, walking forward here in the text, look at verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. He did, Peter did get to it and say, hey, by the way, you are guilty. Um, but and when Kyle, uh, a couple of weeks ago, when uh, he was working through this passage, talked about how the brokenness of the body of Jesus is the path for you and I to be made whole. When the Bible describes the gospel, um, it'll hold it up and it will, it'll talk about it one way in one particular section. And in the next section of the Bible, it'll spin it. So you see a different facet. There's a different section uh, of it that you can see and see how beautiful it is. In this particular case, uh, there's three things I think that fall out here. Just give you these three things to think about. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. Now, we know that he was raised from the dead. We saw it demonstrated in baptism just a minute ago. But this particular, uh, when he says he's raised Jesus, he's talking about putting him out as somebody to lead, to speak to his people. He raised him up as kind of the leader, the one to, to blaze the way for you and for me. So I, I take that as pursuit. God brought Jesus to the earth so that you and I would know that we are pursued. Jesus himself said it. I came to seek and to save the lost. That means you were sought by God. He pursued you. And I think that's crucial because how many of you had a bad moment this week? Anybody? The rest of you are liars. You're having a bad moment right now. You had a bad moment this week. That did not change God's pursuit of you. That did not um, reorient him or get him off track. If you crack open the heart of God Almighty and we're able to stare down into him, what you would see is this heart that is beating for relationship, not to have an organized religious moment, not to have these other... He wants to be in relationship with you. That is what is at his heart. That is why it is beating inside. I mean, that is what is beating inside of God. And that is why he has pursued you and pursued me. It's why he raised Jesus up to blaze the trail for you and for me. And then, verse 30, at the end of verse 30 and 31, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Here's another P word for you. Just hold these out. There's pursuit. God pursued you. Even in your worst moment, he pursued you. The next one is propitiation. My guess is you probably didn't use this in a conversation this week. Anybody use propitiation? Nobody? Okay, good. That's all right. It's a good Bible word. And here's, here's where we see it in the text, and here's what it means. 
You killed him, Jesus. You killed him by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him, raised him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Propitiation has these two sides. The first side is you and I, because we sinned against God, we owed a debt that we could never repay. Jesus died to pay that debt. That is the forgiveness of sins that he mentioned. But it's not only that. I mean, that that would be a phenomenal gift. That would be good news for everybody who was in debt to God. That would would be enough in some senses, but it's more than that. And this is why the good news is such good news, is that not only did he pay our debt and purchase forgiveness for you and for me, but he also, by his death and resurrection, he purchased favor with God. And so we get both of these things, that that he is the one who... um, has paid our debt for, of the sin, and he also purchased favor with God that you and I could live in right relationship with God forever and ever and ever. Now, if we've got a God who pursued us and we've got a God who saw us in our worst moments and was still willing to pay the debt that we had and, uh, and, and purchase favor with God so that he not only uh, equaled our account and got us out of debt, but filled up our account with Jesus' righteousness. So then when he looks at you and me, that's what he sees. If we've got a God like that, wouldn't that be a God worth following and obeying? Yes, he would. And then lastly, another P word, just because that's how it works, uh, proclamation. We've got pursuits, and we've got this word propitiation. God has paid our debt and purchased forgiveness, and we've got proclamation. Verse 32, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. When God has given us, uh, whom God has given us uh, to those who obey him. I say that because built into the gospel is this un- undeniable, unmistakable flavoring of, of you and I get to be a missionary in light of this. If we receive the gospel, the gospel that pursued us while we were in our sin, guess what? You and I get to be agents who go out and pursue others in their sin on God's behalf. And just as Jesus was sent to us, so we also are sent out. If we are people who believe the gospel, we believe this, that God not only has pursued us, but we get to be agents of reconciliation in the world. We get to be people who get to go out and do this. So demonstrate it this way. I'm the breakfast maker at my house. You need an omelet? I'm your guy, okay? The other morning, bacon, egg, and cheese omelet. Slap that baby in the pan. It starts bubbling. Fold that bad boy over. Flip it. Plate it. Take it upstairs to the queen. She's eating happy as can be, right? Comes downstairs. Thanks so much for cooking me breakfast. Appreciate you. Get ready to go to work. She says, hey, listen, um, next time uh, you don't need to add salt to the omelet. When you put it in, I just, little salt, little pepper, perfect, right? I say, okay. She said, the bacon was salty enough. It was already in there, right? I didn't need the extra. Okay, I get that. That makes good sense to me. Gotcha. No more salt when there's bacon, egg, and cheese. No more salt. She, no, and she said, no, no, really. Like, it was already in there. That's what I'm telling you, right? Like, it was all she wanted to emphasize that they did not need salt. Because on occasion, ladies, did you know that on occasion, when we as husbands are trying to do nice things for our wives, that if you suggest that our nice thing didn't quite go like we intended it to, any sort of feedback may go right in here and right out there. Did anybody, anybody ever, ladies, you ever had that happen before? So she was just emphasizing the fact that it was already in there, right? 
Some people think that sharing the gospel or being missionaries, living a missional lifestyle, being out there is kind of an extra thing. It's an add-on that you sprinkle in. I'm telling you, built right into the nature of the gospel, it's already in there. It's not for somebody else. It's not for them. It is already built into the gospel that you and I get to be proclaimers. You and I get to live as missionaries. Yes, we come and we celebrate the good news of Jesus on Sunday in here, and then we go out there for because Tuesday afternoon, we get to be missionaries. You go home and you're going to barbecue because it's Memorial Day weekend, and you're going to have your neighbors over for burgers or whatever. You get to live as a missionary. Built right into the gospel. It's not as if he's saying in verse 32, and then we grew up, and then we got special training, and all of this, and what happened? Then then we got to be witnesses to these things. No, no, he just, and we are witnesses. That's who we are. It's built in there already. We are witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit. We obey God because of the gospel. Um, Last phrase no matter the cost. And this is where the rest of this hashes out. Look at verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. The council was so upset at all of this that they were ready to kill them. The very real um, threat level to their lives and the hostility that they experienced um, took no doubt an emotional toll on them. I don't, not negating that or, or trying to dis, be dismissive of that, but it wasn't ultimate. And that's what I want to say, that no matter the cost, sometimes when we feel threatened, we want to kind of pull the throttle back. And I'm saying, based upon what we see in the text here, based upon how we see them living their lives, that's the time to actually stand up and do more. To live fearlessly and to speak clearly, no matter the cost. For some of us, threats isn't really the thing that sets us off. It's waiting. Anybody love waiting? Verse 34, But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Just in case you were wondering, Gamaliel was the mentor to the guy who's going to show up in Acts chapter 9, a guy named Saul, who later became Paul. He's a player in the game. He's for real. Verse 35. He said to them, Men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For it is if it, excuse me, if this plan or this undertaking is a man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. So they took his advice. So this is the part. Peter and James, John, all the other apostles, they're put out. They're like outside with no influence, with no insight. What's going on? They got the glass to the door. Like, can you hear them? I don't know. It sounds like Gamaliel's talking. They have no idea of what's going on. You ever had that moment where you're like, I have no influence here and I have no insight as to what's going on. All I can do is wait. Sometimes that's as hard as anything that we do, especially in our fast-paced, 
kind of high activity culture. Waiting, no matter the cost. We obey God. We live fearlessly. We speak clearly, no matter the cost, even when it means we have to be put out and wait. And then in one of the craziest, in my mind, the craziest passages that is so succinct, they took his advice at the end of verse 39. Verse 40, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. I love how Luke just slips that in. They called them and they beat them and then they told them not to talk anymore and they let them go. They just, they brought them in and then they beat them. And just, Can you imagine and so for me, it was so fascinating to me that Luke was just so nonchalant about beating that, I, I mean, because like when dad would pull the belt out, like it was on, you know what I mean? So I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, so what did this look like? We know from uh, Jewish literature um, that this was a little bit more involved than just, and they beat them and let them go. They would tie them up to a pole, make sure that they were uh, uh, without shirt, and then they would take, you may have that moment where dad would rip his belt off, sound like a rattlesnake, Maybe. So the, the strap, the leather strap that they had was uh, uh, about twice the length of the belt that you guys have on right now because they had to fold it over twice. So there were two big loops and you would hold it in your hand and they had to deliver at least 18 blows. You took a third of them on your chest and two thirds on your back. At least 18, as high as 39, but at least 18. So when Luke drops in and then they beat them and let them go, we're not just talking about like, you knuckleheads. We're not talking about that. We're talking about tied to a post and hit with a leather strap. Serious. And the reason I emphasize that is because their response is so crazy. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They left, walked out, and what did they do? Wow, I can't believe that. Like, we follow a guy who got beat, and we just got beat for him. High five. I can't lift my arms. Okay, all right. I just... Who does that kind of stuff? The kind of people who can look backward at what God has done for them and experience gratitude, and then the kind of people who can look forward at what God has promised them and experience hope. The kind of people who obey God because of the gospel, no matter the cost. And then, as if that's not enough, walking out high-fiving, verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. What did they keep doing? The very thing that got them arrested and beaten because they couldn't help but obey God. So I just, you see it on the screen. I just put those three phrases together. Obey God because of the gospel, no matter the cost. Obey God because of the gospel, no matter the cost. Church family, we are at a place in our life, in our culture, in our time. The world doesn't need less of us. The world needs more. The world doesn't need less clarity. It needs more. The world doesn't need people who are shrinking back in fear. It needs people who are stepping out 
fearlessly. People who obey God and speak clearly. Who obey God because of the gospel, no matter the cost. I don't know what that means for you today. I don't know what it's going to mean for you on Wednesday or next week. But may we be the kind of people who obey God because of the gospel, no matter the cost. I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, have a song of response and commitment, okay? Uh, Jesus, thank you for a few moments here in your word. I do pray that um, uh, we would be people so stained by the good news of Jesus, the gospel, that we obey you no matter what. And God, I, I pray for um, folks here this morning who they know exactly what that means for them. God, I pray that you give them the courage to step out. Give them the courage to, to do the right thing. Give them the courage to represent you well. Lord, may we be fearless and may we be clear. And I pray that in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen. We're going to stand here in just a second. Before we do, let me just say these two things. Number one, if you've never trusted Christ and never received him into your life, the Jesus that we're talking about, um, that can be your moment today. You can come into right relationship with him. He can pay for your sins and bring you into right relationship with God. If that's you this morning, I'd love to visit with you. I'll be there back there by all the preschool furniture. I'd love to talk with you about that. If you came this morning, you need somebody to pray with you. There'll be some other folks back there too. We'd love to have a moment where we can pray um, with you, uh, maybe about this thing or something else. Let's stand together. Um, we'll sing. You make your way to the back if we can pray with you, okay?